Welcome to an anniversary edition of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, August 23rd, 2011, and that means it's episode 80, and that means we've been doing this show for two years now, Kevin. Yeah! And that voice you hear is Mr. Moth, also known as the Golden Rock, broadcasting from his secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor. How you doing, sir? You feel two years older? I, I feel two years older, still stuttering, but... Uh... <laughs> But yeah, definitely two years older. How how do you feel, Paul? Uh, yeah, two years of this editing every week and 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 preparing notes and yeah, well, uh, yeah. I don't have it quite down yet. Uh, still, still kind of learning as we go. But uh, picked up a few things here and there. You will notice if you stop by the website that the website's gone through a little bit of a theme redesign, uh, and I've thrown in uh, uh, a couple things. You can actually access the live stream now. Um, on the website instead of going into the Ustream page, but I don't have a chat box there yet. I don't know if I'm going to put that in or not, but uh, that's there for your option, and uh, hopefully it's a little bit more slimmed down, a little bit less uh, fat-looking than it used to be. And hope to have some other changes coming up in the next couple of months as well. Um, but yeah, two years. 
Yeah. It, it just goes by like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, what's, what's changed for you, Paul, in the last two years outside uh, the show? Or what, was, what changes have you seen wow. since two years ago when we started doing the show? Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. It just doesn't seem like it's been that long. Yeah. Um, but actually, you know, thinking back on it, the, the idea for the show um, dates back to three years ago. Mm. Um, because the show was originally sort of this um, this idea that I was doing for my uh, master's project and mm. my thesis project on, you know, um, Hong Kong cinema and the, sort of the digital community and, you know, spread the spreading of information through digital channels and uh, consuming popular culture and all these kinds of things. So get the idea for the show actually goes back... Uh, a year before we actually started because it took me that long to get the equipment and learn how to do podcasting and then sort of get brushed up on the technology and i'm still uh kind of behind the curve but no i mean i think we've gone we've come a long way i mean we sound much better now um um i mean we got a nice site going we got a live stream this is something new i mean i would never imagine that we'd be doing this thing live or this would last two years or you know things well, like that. I mean, you know what's coming next don't you no not video video podcast no <laughs> no and nobody wants hide to see our face. ugly mugs hide my face if you want to see our ugly mugs you have to come to hong kong and come out with us on a movie night so that's right yeah that's right um all right so yeah that's our anniversary show nothing really special other than to say you know uh, we'll throw some thanks out uh, at the end but we're going to go through sort of the normal routine but you know speaking of anniversaries i think uh, there's another anniversary coming up this weekend isn't there what is the communist party celebrating something else uh no they won't be celebrating but i think <laughs> i know somebody else who should be celebrating right uh, oh yeah yeah i guess so so somebody was born uh <laughs> How many years ago was it this weekend? Uh, Twenty-seven years ago. Wow. Yes. So you're like ready for, uh, you're like ready for social security now. Yeah, I can finally uh, get <laughs> off my my milk bottle now. I can drink. I can go to the potty on my own. Finally, that's something new. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll we will look forward to all the big news and the tabloid press, um, you know, gossip coming out of the gossip columns of the big bash that's being held <laughs> over the weekend. Yeah. Well, you know, Nick and Cecilia might might reunite. At my birthday party, it'll be great. Yeah, yeah. I promise we'll be on Apple Daily. First Cats page. and dogs living together, right. and all is happy. And uh, as you'll remember, I have my own car. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you <laughs> might too, because it will be your birthday. Um, ah! 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 All right. All right. <laughs> well, let's get back into our normal show. We've got a big show for you this week. We've got news coming up, but we've also got a couple films to talk about this week. What films are we going to be covering? We'll be talking about Overheard Two. Uh, which is kind of a coincidental thing because the first episode we did Overheard 1. Uh, for West Green, we'll be talking about the Tom Hanks film Larry Crown. All right. All that and much more coming up right after our news. All right. Um, it's kind of a slow news week. I mean, there's a lot going on in the news. If you pay attention to non-movie news, I mean, you've got the whole stock market thing going crazy. You've got all the stuff going on in Libya um, that's just, it, it's weird. I mean, they're actually broadcasting um, on one of the news channels I watch, watch uh, France 24. Mm. Uh, they're, they're broadcasting the battle, like, live. 
it's just yeah. weird. I mean, they've got embedded or, or the journalists out there in the street filming gun battles and stuff going on. So because yeah, they've been out there for like what two months, three yeah. months, yeah, pushing yes. slowly, and and now it's kind of like they're in the in the last push, and uh, it's just really weird what's going on. But uh, this is not a news program. Let's get to more relevant news. So only a couple news stories this week. Uh, the first one, not really a news story though, but it is something that came to my attention. Uh, via an ex-colleague and uh, a friend of mine who's now studying at Hong Kong U, and this is a call for papers. So if you are in the sort of academic community, if you're working on Asian film or more particularly Hong Kong film, um, there is a call for papers going out by the for the Asian Cinema Studies Society Conference. And this is a conference that's being held in... Um, where is the date here? I lost the date. It's in. It's being held in 2012. I want to say sometime in March, and I don't see the date. Anyway, you don't the, actually have a date. Yeah. Yeah. I, he he sent me a date on the email. I'll have to dig that up. I'll, I'll put more details on our site, um, but we'll have a link in the show notes that will take you to the Facebook page for the um, comparative literature department, who's one of the hosts of this conference. Um, and uh, basically the deadline for the proposals is December 31st, 2011, and you'll be informed by the end of January 2012 as to acceptance. Um, they're looking for two to 300 word proposals in RTF or Word uh, document format, um, basically looking for people or academics or people in the industry, I guess, as well, um, for who are looking to put together panels, workshops, group submissions, um, or the like, or, or you know, or simply a paper submission, and uh, to talk a little bit about some area of research that you're interested in, particularly as it relates to um, the conference theme of Hong Kong and Asian Asian cinema in the era of globalization. Um, so if you're, they'll. They'll consider other areas, but um, that's the conference theme, Hong Kong and Asian cinema in the era of globalization, and those topics will be given priority. Um, so if you have an idea and you'd like to attend the conference, come to Hong Kong, hang out with uh, other academics and film buffs, uh, I think it will be a very, very interesting conference. Um, it's also co-sponsored by... I want to say Temple University. I think that's what it. Yeah, says. Um, uh, it's the the Asian Cinema Studies Society, the ACSS, who is who I guess the head person in charge of that society is John Lent, who's a somewhat famous academic. He's written a lot of uh, academic papers and journal articles on Asian popular culture. Some of them relating to Japan, um, Southeast Asia, and Hong Kong as well. So. Uh, if again, if you're an academic and you're interested in that kind of stuff, you're gonna like to take a trip to Hong Kong. Um, look up the link and uh, submit some work. Kevin, you think you submit anything? Um, I, I've I've moved on from that world. Your, your academic time. days are behind you. Yeah, they're they're long behind me. I'm thinking now. about I don't know. I, I was my my friend's trying to prod me to do, put in a paper, mm. and I'm considering doing something on uh, Patrick Kong. Mm. But I was thinking about it, maybe it'd be more interesting to organize sort of a panel on, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hong Kong cinema, because it's about Hong Kong cinema or Asian cinema and globalization, and looking at, you know, digital communities. So mm. getting like um, maybe Ross Chen, Tim Young's, 
um, you know, uh, some some of the other people we know who are active in digital communities to come in and talk about, you know, how, how Hong Kong cinema has sort of spread out um, via these Hong Kong communities. It'd be really great if we could get some people from Europe, you know, like uh, the guys from Podcast on Fire, um, Kenneth, or some of the guys who do other podcasts to come in. But unfortunately, they're not um, offering funds for travel mm. or accommodation. So, um, yeah, it's they're, they're not working with uh, a lot of grant money, apparently. So if you're going to come, you have to come under your own economic power. Uh, but if you do, be sure and look me up, and I will take you out to a nice place to yum cha or have an afternoon tea. Yeah, and I'll, I'll put in some money on that bill. Yeah. All right. For the, for the pineapple bun, yeah. What were you <laughs> tweeting about today? Some of the cocoa... Ichibani or something? Koko Ichibanya, the Japanese curry place that is in Hong Kong. Is it like super um, great or something? Cause... Yeah, it's, it's a very big chain in, in Japan. Um, I've once challenged the one kilogram curry challenge uh, in Japan when I was there. Uh, but uh, if you're not into eating a lot of curry, they, they still have or they still have really good curry rice. Is that so, like a man versus food kind of challenge? That was. It was a, a kilogram of uh, curry rice within 20 minutes. I don't know how, why we we're matching this right after the academic dis- discussion. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. But, but yeah, now Hong, Hong Kong people has always loved um, Japanese food. So you had a couple of major um, Japanese uh, restaurant chains come in here, like uh, the Italian food, uh, Zaizeria. We have um, Koko, Koko Ichibanya. That's the curry place. And the very famous... Um, Kyushu ramen place, uh, Ipudo, which I waited an hour and a half to get into. Um, yeah, just great food. But I don't think if you guys are coming to Hong Kong, I think you guys are coming for the Japanese food. So, uh, yum chai will be. Yum chai shall be. Mm. All right. Well, let's move on to some other actual news then. Yes. Um, first up, a bit of news that's related to one of the films we're talking about this week, and that is Larry Crown, uh, starring Tom Hanks. Um, you've probably heard this news because this has been in circulation um, since early last week, but apparently um, uh, Tom Hanks was out at a, uh, I guess he was at a gas station, and he, you know, there were a couple people there who saw him and recognized him and went up and started to talk to him, and they mentioned that they had just seen uh, his film Larry Crown, and uh he, he asked, you know, what they thought of it, and apparently they said it wasn't very good. And so he basically, nice guy that he is, he gave them like $25 to refund their money. Um, now, as I did some digging on this story, um, the, the one site, a lot of sites were referring it to other sites, you know, that's the nature of the internet these days. The one site that I found here, Film Junk, said that they got their info from the National Enquirer, <laughs> which makes me kind of question the, the validity of this story. If you're not familiar with American tabloids, the National Enquirer is not known for their legitimacy. They're, they're always talking about, like, uh, you know, Michael Jackson's illegitimate baby and Elvis still being alive. And um, they're not as bad as, like, the Weekly World News with, um, you know, Bat Boy and, you know, the, the articles about uh, George Bush meeting with aliens and stuff like that. But they're not known for their investigative journalism and their uh, truthful integrity so much. So 
I'm not saying this didn't happen, but the fact that the source that it cites back to is the National Enquirer here makes me kind of wonder. Um, but everybody seems to say that Tom Hanks is truly a nice guy, and they find it believable. So what do you say, Kev? Um, yeah, I mean, Tom Hanks is a nice guy. The movie seems to represent that niceness very well. And I'm not sure, like the, like the report says, I mean, who would actually tell a Hollywood star that their movie sucks, especially a movie that he produced, wrote, and direct, uh, directed and acted in? Um, so just that's, that whole idea itself is kind of making it kind of unbelievable. And, but even if it is, you know, you know if it's just hypothetical, um, would Tom Hanks refund some dude's money uh, if he tells him that his movie wasn't good? Um, I think with this case, he would because it's such a, it is his movie. It is, you know, it was because uh, in a report it said, how do we get money back for Angels and Demons and Da Vinci Code? And Tom Hanks wouldn't say anything because they're not his movies. He just acted in them. Yeah. But uh, I think with someone like Larry Crown, um, first his ego will be hurt because he has such a big role in it. And then he'd just be a nice guy and say, oh, hey, I'm sorry, you didn't enjoy it. You know, at least he would apologize or he would at least, you know, say, oh, I'm sorry. He wouldn't be, I don't think he would, he would start screaming at poor Sean Penn on them or anything like that. <laughs> Well, um, <clears throat> like I said last week, uh, if this is the trend for uh, directors, uh, I need to track down Wong Jing. <laughs> I'm tracking down Patrick Kong. <laughs> I don't know, but you're like, you got... You, well, you had your chance a few weeks ago ah! when, when you were at Baptist University and he was giving a talk. Ah, yeah, I should have <laughs> asked him. Well, you, you could have asked him to, or we should have asked him to uh, introduce us to Steffi or at least Chrissy Chow or at least Teresa. And Teresa's got nothing better to do these days. Yeah. You know? <laughs> All right, uh, next bit of news coming from our favorite news site, Film Biz Asia. Uh, this article from Patrick Frater from uh, back on last Friday, August 19th. Um, San Francisco is going to be showcasing some Hong Kong cinema. Uh, they'll have a three-day festival in San Francisco next month on uh, September 23rd through the 25th. And they're going to be showing um, a few films, including Merry-Go-Round, uh, the more recent merry-go-round, not the merry-go-round from a couple of years ago. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Incredible, uh, City Under Siege, All About Love, Punished, Echoes of the Rainbow, and Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Um, why do you think these films are on on the, the circuit here, Kev? Um, I have no idea. I mean, at least, um, let me see, three of those movies are from Media Asia, Run from May, uh, one from Wong Jing's company, one from Universe. Yeah, I don't really think it's a company thing. I, um, because it's co-sponsored by the Hong Kong Economic and Trade Office. I'm, I, you know, maybe someone tried to went all around and asked everyone what movies they have, and this is what this is the list they came up with. I guess um, some of the stuff is pretty baffling. I mean, who the hell was show City Under Siege anywhere? Yeah, and you know, not come out embarrassed. Um, there's some important movies. I mean, Milky Way, the the uh, Punished is on there. And you have you have the Johnny Toe name, so that's always good. Merry Go Round was partly shot in San Francisco, so it makes sense. Um, All about love is about social issues. About um, it's about lesbians, so that also works for San Francisco. Uh, Echoes of the Rainbow was a big hit, uh, the big nostalgic hit, so that that makes sense as well. Don't go breaking my heart was actually good, and also again Johnny Toe's name is on it. Yeah, so we can explain almost every one of these except. City Under Siege. Well, you know, which, they've, they've got City Under Siege listed as a 2011 film. Maybe this is like a a, a, a new director's cut. <laughs> I wish. 
My God. Wait, wasn't it this year or last year? I think it was last summer, oh, right? Yes, yes, it was last summer because it was right in the middle. Yeah, and yeah, I remember. Okay, yeah. yeah it, just, it was like right around the same yeah. time as uh, All About Love, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I don't think that movie needs a director's cut, though. I mean, City Under Siege. It's just it, no no way you can fix that movie. I, I mean, I just hope that it's a midnight show or something and people can have a blast. Uh, the theater is very nice. The new People Cinema. Uh, it's owned by Viz Media, the, the people who bring all those uh, Japanese anime and things like that to um, to America. And apparently that theater was, I think they only opened that one about two years ago. So it's a nice little basement theater with, you know, nice screen, nice everything. Um, so I hope these films will play well. Do you uh, know, that? do they still do um, any, like, uh, Hong Kong cinema circuits uh, in in the States? I mean... I've told this story before, but when I when I first got sort of introduced to Hong Kong cinema, it was because there was a, <clears throat> a sort of a private theater called the Cinnamon Draft House mm-hmm. um, that ran. I, I don't want to say they weren't really secondhand movies. They weren't. There were movies that were in between um, uh, being sort of the new releases and getting to the dollar cinema. They were sort of in this in between stage of having mm. been out for a while. Uh, but not really old. Um, but they'd be at these cinemas called the Cinnamon Draft House chain, and you'd basically go in and you'd sit at a table, and you could have good order beer and and pizza and stuff. And it was a nice, you know, it was a different kind of environment. And on the weekends at midnight, um, they would show Hong Kong films, and that's how I first started seeing current Hong Kong films. At least, you know, current in the fact that they were like somewhere between six months to twelve months old. Mm. Um, and and I gather that, you know, for a while they were, you know, there were different communities of, you know, not really Chinatowns, but different communities that had larger populations of Chinese people where they'd have cinemas running films like this. Did they, did they still do that? Um, well, the history of Chinatown theaters in San Francisco is that at its peak, there were two, at least two Chinatown theaters in San Francisco. Uh, you also have another theater kind of in the suburbs that showed a lot of Asian films. The two Chinatown theaters closed down, but they used to have, you know, the biggest film. I mean, especially Lunar New Year, you have the newest films. I remember lining up for, well, I remember watching uh, God God of Cookery, uh, um, King of Comedy, uh, City of Glass, stuff like that in Chinatown. And then the suburb, the, the theater in the suburb started doing midnight shows of, of latest Hong Kong films. Uh, like I saw the a couple of Johnny Toe romantic comedies there. Uh, they still do Lunar New Year movies. Um, the big ones, uh, they're showing, they're the only theater in San Francisco showing uh, Sex and Zen right now. And they'll be showing, yeah, so that theater still exists, a uh, very small theater. But um, as far as I know, Chinatown theaters, uh, the tradition of Chinatown theaters is pretty much dead yeah. in most of the world. Like Dave just said in the chat room, there used to be a cinema in London's Chinatown showing Hong Kong films. But I think with online shopping and online downloading and the internet and, um, I guess the proliferation of I guess Chinese television on on cable, more and more people getting those, and just there's more outlet for films without having to to go to the theaters. Yeah. So that's a shame because uh, yeah. I, I I really missed it when they closed the theaters down in Florida. There was um, one right near my home, and they did it for I want to say about a year, and then that theater closed down. And the guy told me that uh, they had another theater in Fort Lauderdale, which was about a 45 minute drive. Um, but I would make that trek every Friday night um, to go down there and start watching them. And they did that for about another year. And then I went off to 
college at uh, FSU, and I would try and go down when I come back. But then at one point they closed up shop and they were all gone. Yeah, it it's just the whole new media thing. Is that I guess overseas Chinese they used to value the whole whole cinematic experience because people were I guess kind of in Chinatown. They were all grouped in Chinatown, and it was kind of the event thing. And but now. It's only during big holidays, you know, like Chinese New Year. Other times, people just rent or buy VCDs or download and things like yeah. that. It's just too easy because everyone's too spread out around the area or around Bay Area. In San Francisco, at least, they're too spread out in suburbs. So it's kind of getting harder for people to just go into Chinatown, especially with local small Chinese communities popping up at cities where there are more Chinese populations. So it's just kind of spreading out. So you don't have that centralization anymore. And I'm not sure. Sh- and I think that's that might also apply to other major American cities. So that's, you know, it's sad, um, but just the way the times, just the times, and yeah. Uh, but this, this, this festival is good. Um, maybe it will attract some, you know, Hong Kong cinema fans, but I, I hope that it will attract people who don't really have much knowledge of Hong Kong cinema and they can go and check it out and maybe it will attract some fans. All right. So Even if, you're, if, the if you're looking at the list and... Um... You've got a friend in San Francisco who's only got time to see one film. Which one do they see? Ooh. Um, uh, personal opinion-wise, I would say Don't Go Breaking My Heart mm. because uh, that's the really only film in that list that I really liked. Um, but for you know people who, who don't watch Hong Kong movies on a regular basis, maybe I would say Merry Go Round or even Echoes of the Rainbow. Uh, those are two pretty, you know, Depends on the culture, but in San Francisco culture, I think they would dig Merry Go Round and Echoes of the Rainbow is just a really big crowd pleaser. So, mm. yeah, those two, either of those two films would be good too. All right. So, there you have it, folks. All right. Our last bit of news this week. Speaking of Wong Jing, uh, here he is. Kevin, what's this about? Yeah, Paul, you might want to start getting your, your Wong Jing tracker ready. Wong Jing is working on a new gambling film. Um, apparently, this one will be ready around Christmas. It's called Mr. and Mrs. Gambler, uh, and it stars Chapman Toe and Fiona Sid as two, two uh, people who meet in the casinos um, in Macau, and they, they, they get married, and then um, how they, it's about how they split up and how they have to use gambling to, for, for their own purposes. Uh, so this is a return of the gambling comedy for Wan Jing. What was his last gambling movie, Paul? Do you remember? Is it My Wife is a Gambling Maestro? Or is it go, was it more recent? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because... Um, that was the one Wong... with uh, Meng Yao, right? Yes, Ming, Ming Yao and Nick Chen. Because um, Wang Jing has been kind of concentrating on the mainland, but um, I think after he saw Patrick Khan's success with Marriage of a Liar, I think he's trying to bring... Going back to kind of his more successful genres, um, and the sex comedies didn't work out, so now he's going to try gambling again. Um, I always like Chapman Toy and Wang Jing movies. He's always great in them. Um... What do you think, Paul? I mean, is Wang Jing gambling? Chapman Toe? Is this, does this sound promising to you at all? Um, I mean, Chapman Toe's fine. I'm not a huge fan of Fiona Sit uh, as sort of the leading lady. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It, it could be okay. But <laughs> uh, as long as he doesn't have Chapman Toe wearing like uh, uh, talismans to cover his private parts like he did in. Uh, ah! What was it? Why? Uh, it was, men uh, suddenly like, in love. Yeah, men suddenly in love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no more of that. Why the memory? Why? <laughs> it's burned but into yeah, my brain. 
<laughs> I think it's coming out at the end of the year, so um, I think I'm already buying my ticket to Dynasty tomorrow. When we go to Dynasty, I'm going to buy my ticket for it. <laughs> I'm ready. Our first film this week is the sequel in name only um, to the film that we first did on our very, we covered on our episode one, or Overheard, and that is Overheard 2. So, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about Overheard 2? Okay, um, Overheard 2 comes two years after Overheard 1. The film did okay in Hong Kong, but it was a really big hit in the mainland considering the genre, the cops and robbers genre, has, or the crime genre. Uh, it's not a big thing in China, apparently. So the success of Overheard 1 um, kind of gave producer Derek Yee and directors Alan Mack and Felix Chong kind of a new hope. So after um, their under underwhelming uh, The Lost Bladesman, they're back with a modern uh, cops and robbers film, this Overheard 2. Um, the story, it's essentially about three characters, uh, different sides of the law. Uh, Louis Ku uh, stars as Jack Ho. He is a very righteous cop. Uh, who is almost too so righteous that he kind of sacrificed his family by turning in uh, his wife, played by Michelle Yeh, when she committed a white-collar crime. Uh, second character is Lao Cheng, uh, Lao Cheng Wan's Manson Law, uh, a stockbroker who uh, is very successful but uh, doesn't ask questions about why he's successful or how he's successful. Um, and then you have um, Daniel Wu playing a very mysterious character named Joe. Um, in the beginning of the film, you see that uh, Joe uh, is is um, listening in on on Manson Law's conversations, including those with uh, very top notch brokers, a uh, group of old guys, um, and apparently one the 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 head of the organization, uh, Tony, is uh, in hiding. And when he's trying to call, when he was trying to call Manson, uh, Manson decides to go out to ca- cash the call, but he he spots Joe. And in the process of getting away, he gets into an automobile accident. Uh, after the accident, he finds um, a mic or, uh, yeah, a hidden mic microphone in his car. And he starts realizing that not only is he being listening, listened in, uh, the, the, stock, the group of old stockbrokers he's work for, uh, working for is also being listened in. Um, but no one knows what Joe is up to. So that's where Jack Ho comes in and is investigating both sides. And he starts... Um, catching on to the group, which is called the landlords, and he's trying to and, and he begins to find out what they're up to, uh, and of course, um, Joe's plan is revealed eventually. Uh, this is a very ambitious plot. You have these three very different characters this time. Uh, in the first film, um, the Lao Cheng Wan, Louis Ku, Daniel Wu characters are on the same same side of the law, and they're all all kind of acting together as one unit. Uh, here they're on different sides and they're kind of against each other but kind of working with each other and you don't know what they're up to and who's the motivations and things like that. So you have, you have a kind of more interesting dynamic going on between these three guys. Um, we placed, uh, it's a very topical film. Uh, essentially what the directors are trying to do is reflect the, the, the current financial situation in Hong Kong. Uh, if you replace the stock market with the real estate market, then you know what they're trying, what they're getting at. Um, they're really trying to talk about the the um, what's the word I'm looking for the what bully the the the, the poly word um, hegemony sorry the hegemony the real estate hegemony that's going on in Hong Kong where a few big 
real estate tycoons control the market and and how they're affecting society at large. Um, this is what they're trying to get at, except they're talking about stock market. So in a way, it's both. It's a film that's both made for China and Hong Kong because these both places have a lot of um, small stockholders uh, trying to make quick money from the stock market. Um, also. The made for China angle is that this time the cop is heroic and he never wavers from his from his um, heroic nature. Uh, so in, again, it's a very much uh, safe, very safe film in terms of content. Uh, there are no um, shady characters that that's kind of bad, but it's supposed to be good kind of thing going. Um, however, the stock market, all, all these stock market talk um, and, and you know trading and margins and accumulator and whatnot i was kind of lost because i don't buy stocks and this time the 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 lingo the, the lingo is a lot more complicated and the actually the the climax is all about you know buying and selling and raising prices i have no idea what's going on um so i was a little lost honestly i felt that it wasn't really made for me um but stockholders in hong kong and china they will like the film i think they will find a lot more tension in what's going on i guess um, so that's why I kind of prefer the first film because uh, you had a lot more universal conflict. It's not really about the stock stock market. It's about these three people who are you know driven by greed and you know it's almost like kind of film noir where they they get into this this shady world of um, of a gray area and then they 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 um, get the consequences. So in a way, it's a lot more universal and I can understand the first one a lot better and um, the story had a little. The story went better for me here. You're just kind of going back and forth with these people, and and the pacing is a little odd because uh, the focus is on the focus of the characters is not quite balanced. So the film kind of jumps a bit. Um, on the, on on the script level, the exposition is terrible. It's a it's a it's a script writer's nightmare because the way they they explain things uh, kind of comes out of nowhere. They just kind of talking about it in one scene. Um, Manson and his wife, they're in bed and they're suddenly talking about, you know, remember what happened two years ago? And, and they're talking about two years ago, we did this and we did that. And remember, I did this and I did that. And that was their way of telling us what is going on. But you know that when husband and wife are in bed, they just don't go, honey, remember two years ago when we did this, this illegal thing and, and we could have gotten away and blah, 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 blah. It's, just, it's a really strange way. It's almost like they have too much information. They, they didn't know how to tell us. It. So as a scriptwriter, that to me really jumped down. It was really terrible. Um, another thing in this film is more action. Uh, the first film nearly, I think, had almost zero action. There's some, there was some violence, of course, especially with uh, Michael Wong and and as the gangster shady villain here, um, because you have Joe, this this mysterious guy who who might be military, uh, and and he has uh, guns and bikes, and you have. Um, people with uh, dangerous uh, henchmen. And so you have a lot more action, a few more action sequences. Um, they're okay. You know, I think obviously they have more money to work with this time. And the action on its own is fine. It's well-filmed. Uh, it's kind of exciting because you have Dion Lam working as um, action choreographer, action director. Um, but I'm not sure how well it really fits into the plot. Um, there's a kind of lengthy five-minute, ten-minute car chase in the middle that that kind of stops the plot, and I'm not sure how how much it really serves the rest of the story. So it just felt like they were putting in action for action's sake. Uh, as for the Landlords Club, the or is this just called the Landlords? Anyway, so the Landlords Club, the the old stockbrokers, 
is packed with these old TVB actors. If you've seen TVB series from uh, the 90s and the 80s, you'll recognize these guys, especially Kenneth Zung uh, as, the, as Tony, the, the leader. And I think the, when those guys come together, they outact all three of the leads. They're just great together. Uh, they all have kind of their... They just have that kind of presence because I think you grew up watching them playing different characters and to see them together like that and outacting, outacting Daniel Wu or outacting uh, Louis Koo is, is great. It's great to watch. But for me, that was the best part of the film. However, over her two, at two hours, two full hours, it wasn't as engaging as the first film. Um, it's a really oddly paced. Um, as far as three actors go, I think Daniel Wu character was the best because he had that mysterious nature and he had that gray area you don't know if he's good you don't know if he's bad and he's the guy that's driving all these action action sequences and he's doing all these you know cool stuff the cool hair do um then did so then in comparison the other two characters uh jack ho uh, the cop character he's kind of flat because he's so heroic um lao ching one it's almost like a supporting character this time um i don't think he really got to he, his character doesn't have much to do, or it's just not much more conflict, I think, in his character. So he wasn't really that interesting to watch. Um, I think Ross Chen, and he asked us to credit him if we're talking about it. He believed that if um, Jack Ho, uh, Louis Ku, and, and Lao Chen Wan switch characters with Lao Chen Wan playing the hero cop and Louis Ku playing the, the stockbroker, uh, he thinks they might have been better in those roles. Uh, and I, for one, uh, agree with that. Even though it's kind of nothing new because Lao Chen Wan has always played, you know, the cop. Uh, but I think the characters are interesting enough that these actors can bring more out of those characters uh, if they switch to roles. Um, for my final rating, um, the film is doing really well in China. Um, it's going to break Triple Tap as the best, uh, I think, the highest grossing crime crime film uh, or slash cops and robbers film uh, in, in Chinese box office history. Uh, it's also doing very well in Hong Kong, and word of mouth is really strong. So if you want to know what everyone is talking about, I say see it in the theaters. Um, but if you're not into stocks like I am, uh, I think uh, TV it might be good. So you can kind of go back and see what they're talking about, or you can stop and do some research and understand what they're talking about. Um, Paul, what, what do you think over her too? Yeah, um, <clears throat> well, I, I like the historic aspect of it a little bit. It tries to tie itself to... Uh, some of the history of Hong Kong with regard to trading. Um, it tries to tie itself into some of the Hang Seng and stock market crashes, particularly the crash of uh, 1973. So it builds through this history. I'd say if you're interested in that, uh, you might want to try and dig up um, The Greed of Man, which is a TVB drama starring uh, Adam Chang, and interestingly enough, Lao Ching Wan as sort of the hero character. And written by, uh, I think, done by Wai Ka Fai. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a version out there that was recently released with English subs um, on DVD. And, but I went and I looked on Yes Asia and I couldn't see it listed. But I'm pretty sure that they did a re-release of it one or two years ago. Um, and that that release had uh, English subs because I was thinking of picking it up. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I also did a search on eBay and I couldn't come up with anything, but, uh, yeah, I'd say that, that TVB series sort of takes place during that 1973 period. And it's all about the stock market, um, and the manipulation. And so they 
kind of touch on that in this film, but everything sort of is just mentioned in passing because it's supposedly these old dudes, the landlord club, who are responsible for sort of stopping the the foreign bullying uh, that occurs um, during that period that's trying to trying to destroy the Hang Seng, trying to destroy the Hong Kong market. Um, the way that that was kind of written came off as a little bit sort of an anti-foreigner sentiment, and it, it just seemed like, are they doing that to try and push this into China a little bit um, to maybe give it that sort of nationalistic us against them um, kind of feel. Um, it seemed a little heavy handed to me. That's the only reason I bring it up. It doesn't really play a major role in the rest of the movie. Um, it's just in when they're going through that sort of history of the group. There were some odd cameos and subplots that I think could have been further developed. At one point, um, Alex Fong shows up and I'm still not sure what he was doing there. Um, he's got like one or two scenes, and it wasn't really clear. Um, he, his, he was an uh, old buddy of uh, Jack Ho. He was his old, uh, his old um, superior who was now working in the place where the Landlord's Club worked. Yeah, so but, it's just a one, one I don't know. That, it thing. just wasn't really clear the way they were relaying that. Maybe it was a problem with the subtitles or... Um, I, I don't think I fell asleep, but... Anything's possible, I guess. Yeah, he only had that one scene, um, so he didn't really miss much. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just like weird because you see him suddenly, and then you know he's an intriguing person anytime he's on screen, mm-hmm. and then you're thinking, oh, you know, what's 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 he gonna do? But it's like almost as short a cameo as um, what was it? Uh, Lost Bladesman. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't he? Wasn't he in that for like a a millisecond? Yeah, he had the like the two shots as yeah. Lupe. Yeah. Um, so. There's that, and then there's the relationship with Lao Ching Wan and, and Michelle. Yeah, his his wife, which I was really interested, or not Lao Ching Wan, um, Louis Ku, mm-hmm. and, and his wife, and I was really really interested in that dynamic. And I don't think they explored that enough. I would have liked them to spend more time on that, and more time on Lao Ching Wan and his connection with uh, the Landlord Club, because that is like that's the male Cinderella story, mm-hmm. right? where you're like this young guy and you're pulled in by this secret group who's, you know, they're, they're the ones pulling the strings behind everything. They're this like super elite group of, you know, a, a handful of members and they're bringing you in as the new guy to be groomed. Um, and I wanted to see more of, you know, that. Like you said, the old guys were great. They were really stealing the scenes whenever they were on screen. They weren't on screen enough. Uh, f- for my money, um, Kenneth Tsang, who's uh, who, who comes in a little bit later as as the main heavy, he's fine. He's kind of sort of doing his normal thing, uh, but it's the other guys who I thought were, you know, uh, a lot more intriguing, and mm-hmm. I wanted to see more of them and and understand a little bit more. Y- you you kind of said that this really wasn't about st- the the stock market that much, and that's the problem for me with the film, is that I do I, I'm not a trader, but I do understand a bit about the stock market and how it operates, and I wanted to see more. What they showed me was so very simple that it wasn't, it didn't have that much suspense for me. You know, the the trading that goes on at the end, I was expecting a lot more sort of in-depth. I was expecting more secrets to be revealed. Um, And, you know, basically what was going on, I was was just thinking to myself, well, well, that's it? Uh, (laughs) That's all this is building up to? And I think that's 
the overall impression I came away with the film. There's more action here, like you mentioned, and, and that was okay. But, <clears throat> you know, in the first film, I remember feeling a lot more tension with, you know, what was, you know, all the surveillance and stuff that was going on. And then people finding out that they were then under surveillance and, and hidden cameras and, and, and the relationships and between the three guys, there was just a lot more dynamic tension in that film than in this one. And maybe that's not what they were going for, but that's what I was expecting. Um, so I'd say it's a solid story, but by the end, it was rather predictable. Um, you kind of figure out how everything's going to end up uh, as, as it's moving along. No real surprises, um, no real major twists or turns of, of, of any sort. And I guess I was expecting that. Um, but I, I think the, the biggest problem was, you know, uh, you know, no Michael Long, right? I have my own car! And it's, it's just, I mean, <laughs> Kenneth Zang is great as a heavy, but, I mean, you're not going to compare with that, are you? I have my own stocks. Yeah. Uh, I have my own landlord club. Um <clears throat> So, yeah, I'd say that, you know, in, in the long run, um, for me, it was a solid TV. It, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there was, I, I, I'd rather, I think I'd rather watch the first one again in the cinema, um, yeah. than to see this one again in the cinema. So I'd say it's a, it's a solid TV. It, it's, it's worth seeing, you know, in, in video format, but it's not something that I'd recommend rushing out to the theater to watch. What do you think about the if there's any China influence this time? I mean, I'm I, the first one was kind of on the edge anyway because you have these three cops who are, you know, have moral, yeah. shady morals, and they also had to change some of the scenes. They also add 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 scenes about well, <clears throat> a certain character in the ICAC in the China version to make him even more righteous. Um, do do you see that kind of influence? Do you think um, yes. if it wasn't made for China, it would have been different? Well, time? like I said, I think that the 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 moments when they're talking about the history of the strong anti-foreigner sentiment um, are playing up to Chinese nationalism a little bit. Mm. I think that when you see where everybody ends up, um, if you understand that this is a film they want to show in China, where everybody ends up um, is certainly China-friendly as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there were no real surprises there. Mm. Um the the thing about the national uh, the the anti foreigner sentiment is that I I think it's always been in Hong Kong cinema but maybe the fact that knowing that this film is made for China kind of made that aspect even more you know I, I yeah I mean it's sure, yeah. it's they were specifically they had some lines in 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 t talking about the 1973 crash saying that foreigners were specifically trying to wreck the the Hang Seng market and that it was this group who saved it. You know, so it was it was just coming across as this us versus them, where I think if you go back and you look at some of the history of what was happening during that time, it wasn't like, you know, a very specific attack on the Hang Sang per se. I think that that works well for the narrative here, mm. um, but it was maybe just a little bit overdone. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's obviously now they're gonna probably make a overheard three. Where where would you like to see these characters go? I want or more. Would you like these... I want more of the surveillance stuff. Yes. Um. You know that's that's one thing I thought was lacking here. They did some things with it, but I mean, compared with the first one, the first one was like, and like I said, it had more of that dynamic tension. It was about who was hearing what and seeing what, and then who trusts who. 
And, you know, you never really have that because you've got three characters here who are in completely different places. Mm. Um, and because they're in completely different places, there's no tension between them. There's action. You know, you get the action scenes between uh, a couple of them and a couple points, and they're, you know, the chase scenes. And But I preferred the tension of the first one to the action of this one. Yeah. I think if you want to make an action film, that's fine. You know, uh, you know, make City Under Siege 2. Um, make it better. Uh, you know, use these three guys. But the way it's kind of set up and, and, you know, you look at the... when you Especially when you look at the poster, the poster is like the three guys and you get this sense of, of surveillance from the first one and you also get the sense that there's going to be a lot of... There's going to be a lot more tricks or something going on, you know, with all the stock numbers and everything that make up the poster. Um, I was expecting a lot more of that. If they do a third one, I'd like to see you know, more of that. Maybe not with the stock market this time. Uh, maybe, like you said, with, you know, uh, land prices or with uh, some other aspect. You know, who was it that was here just a few days ago? Um, Hack, Lee Hock Kern. Hack, Hack and Lee, right? Hack and Lee. Um, uh, he came through. If, if you're not familiar, he's the guy who's set to become, what is he going to be, the next the premier? premier? Yeah. Of China. And so he was on tour through China. It was a big deal. They were, you know, closing sections of town down as he was, you know, being shown through by uh, Donald Tsang. And he made some statements as to what will be the political and economic future of Hong Kong. Um, and so a lot of people are kind of jumping on some of the things he said about Hong Kong being this place for basically money laundering. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not what he said, but he said that it will be a place for the exchange of, you know, transmission of funds from mainland into the West and so forth and so on. Um, so, yeah, maybe something that can tie into the politics of, you know, what what he was talking about. Um, not, not really money laundering. I was just, just kidding. Um, so, yeah, I think that if they could go somewhere like that, make it bring back some of the tension... I think the three guys work well together. That was proven in the first film, mm. um, but I think they've got to. It's got to be written well for them here, mm. uh, and just wasn't quite there for me. So Hong Kong Dave in the chat room says, "I thought you guys said Hack and Lee, and that's the joke, because his name is Lee Lee Hakong, right? In Cantonese, yeah. uh, well, Mandarin is Lee Lee Keqiang, yeah. but um, in in Cantonese is Lei Hakern, yeah. Lei Hakern, and Hack and Lee's Cantonese is Lei Hakan." Yeah. So it's just the final word that seems. So actually, heckingly, I think ended up being a, a, a sensitive keyword in yeah. China for a while. And he's, you know, a lot of people are making jokes. I was making jokes at the office with some people. I was like, you know, he should come and do a photo shoot with Alan Tam. I mean, uh, you know, maybe they can do a. He, he can he can have a cameo in the um, Lady Iron Chef Two or something. Um, so yeah, there's there's that. Uh, if you're into China politics, he's someone to watch. East Green, West Green. Up next for our West Green film this week, Larry Crown. Uh, the film coming from director Tom Hanks, who also stars in the role, tells the story of a man named Larry Crown, who as a result of the economic downturn in which we're all still currently living, uh, the title character, Larry Crown, gets fired from his long-standing position at a place called U-Mart, um, which is obviously a sort of a parallel to Walmart or Kmart, if you remember those in the States. 
Um, citing his lack of any higher education, uh, they decide to fire him. Larry decides to then take up some courses at a local community college. There he meets Mercedes uh, Taino, played by Julia Roberts, a public speaking teacher who's going through a midlife crisis of her own. And so through his newfound academic life, his new class friends, a budding relationship that springs up um, with Julia Roberts, Larry learns that life goes on after downsizing. Um, so that's the sort of the synopsis of, of Larry Crown in, in a nutshell. Um, this, is, this is a very, what I would call a niche film. Um, it's made for a select audience, a select group of people. Those people are baby boomers, primarily. Um, my parents' generation, and slightly younger. Uh, I'm sort of on the, the cusp of the uh, Generation X group. Um, so people maybe a decade older than me would still be falling into this group, I guess. Um, but it's made for that group of people, people who've been hit hard by the recent financial tsunami, the economic downturn, the housing market crash, the current stock market crash, um, and the way it's affected businesses and lives and jobs and savings and 401ks and all of that. Um, that's the basis for this film. Where do you go when you're an older person, a middle-aged person, and you lose your job and you don't have any skills. Um, some people have criticized the logic of this film, saying that, you know, Larry Crown, he works at this place for 10 years. Um, he's got work experience. They're not going to let him go like that, you know. But I know stories where this, is, this has actually happened, you know. If you've been at a place for a period of time, you've gotten a number of raises over that time, you become too expensive to hold on to despite your, despite your experience. It becomes more economically feasible to boot you out the door and bring in a new guy at a much lower wage, um, even though you have to train, train them up. So I didn't really have a problem with that part of the logic of it. I guess if I did have a problem with the logic is basically Larry Crown takes three classes at a community college. He doesn't even take an entire, he doesn't even get, get a degree uh, per se by the end of the film, but he takes three, three classes, two of which you see, and, you know, everything's okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, turning, turning your life around with, with community college, I'm all for it. I work in academia. I believe in, in continuing education. I think you should always keep learning uh, new skills, new ideas, new ways of thinking. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I do think that this was kind of pushed over the edge a little bit um, with, with you know, some of, some of the fairy tale aspects of it. Um, the big problem with the film, and I think one reason a lot of people probably don't like this film and it's not been getting very good reviews, is because, firstly it's not very well directed. Um, I don't think it's a problem with the script. I don't think it's a problem with uh, Tom Hanks in the role. I thought he was fine. But there's just some misdirection. He should not have been the person to direct it. I think that if they would, would have gotten somebody else to take over, they probably could have ironed out a lot of the problems. One of the big problems is very early on, it's established. There are just odd moments of what I would call unclear funny, where... It looks like they're trying to do a joke, but given the situation, you don't know whether you should laugh or not. 
um, in, in the key scene in the very beginning when he's getting fired, it's like the camera's showing him and, and, and you see the anguish, you know, that he's kind of going through and that cuts back to the, the bosses who are firing him and they're like, you know, goofing off and, and cracking jokes and, and it's just kind of, it, it's not meshing up, um, correctly. It's not really giving you a sense of, uh, this is supposed to be serious. No, it's supposed to be funny. No, it's supposed to be serious. No, it's supposed to be funny. Um, I, so I think that the direction needed to be a bit more clear and probably would have worked better had he not chosen to star in it and direct it. Um, it's a film with a message, and that tends to get in the way of the genre that it wants to be. I think it's trying to be a rom-com, but that aspect of it ends up feeling way too forced. And I don't think it needed to be a rom-com. I think it just needed to be a story about this guy. Um, and this, this comes to my other problem with the movie, and that's Julia Roberts. Now, I have to admit, I have a little bit of a bias because I don't like Julia Roberts. I think I've only seen one film uh, that I liked her in, and that was Notting Hill. Um, and anything else that I've seen her in, I just she just rubs me the wrong way. I, I'm not a fan. Um, but even so, she's not a likable character here. Her character, Mercedes, is, you know, she's going through a midlife crisis. She has problems with her husband. Um, and she, she's an alcoholic, basically. She drinks all the time. And I, I just didn't see her and Larry Crown, who's like this, you know, really nice guy. I just didn't see them hooking up. I, it, 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 it didn't seem like she changed enough to where I could picture the two of them, uh, making a connection. Mm. Uh, the, the film does poke fun at new media. Um, for example, the Brian Cranston, plays uh mercedes husband and he's supposed to be a blogger uh, a writer turned blogger who's making a career as a blogger um and uh, some other sites that i've listened to they sort of take have taken offense to this because like they're saying oh it's making fun of new media how people can't make a living at new media and some people i know actually do make a living at new media it's it's a viable industry if you pursue it um of course you know we're not going to get rich doing podcasting at least not the the way we currently do it but that's besides the point there are people who can make a living blogging this particular person though wasn't it was obviously he was a a lounge about and and, and a no good nick if you will um and so i didn't take personal offense at them poking fun at new media um george takai here star trek connection a little bit as dr uh matsutani the Econ 101 professor, and I want to say I would love to have George Takai's character. Uh, it would be great to have George Takai as a teacher of anything. But the character here, um, he was creepy. And I think, it, again, it was he was trying to be funny, um, but at the same time, it, it wasn't generating laughs in the audience that much, so it was kind of some weird direction going on. But he's the type of teacher that I love having. I mean, if if I could have all my teachers be like him, uh, I'd be very happy because he like gives you this big course book and he says everything you need to know is here in this course book, and that's exactly the the, the kind of teacher I like. Um, the fi- the final message, the lesson of the film, I think, may be too timely to take, and I've heard some other people on other podcasts uh, talking about the film say the same thing, and I agree with them that because we're still in this and because of where the characters end up, you know, 
um, the, the message of the film about, you know, you're not going to be able to drive your SUVs. You've got to get a Vespa. Um, you're not going to be able to live in your, your, your big houses because of foreclosure. You're going to have to downsize and, and you're not going to be able to have a, you know, a, a good high paying job, but you might get a job as a cook in a restaurant or something. Um, you know, this idea of tighten your belt, you know, be conservative and, and you'll get by okay. I don't think it's a message that people want to hear in, in the midst of everything that's going on right now. Um, so maybe, you know, the timeliness of it is another problem, is another reason why people aren't taking to it, um, aside from the other aspects that I mentioned. Overall, though, I'd say that I enjoyed Tom Hanks, for the most part, and his character. I enjoyed Larry Crown. Um, I enjoyed him going through the academic process. Again, I'm a bit biased, because that's the industry in which I work. Um, I enjoyed some of the supporting casts um, by some of the other characters here. So, uh, for me, it, I, you know, I, I came out, came off liking it probably more than most people would. So I'd say it's definitely a TV. It, um, you know, you may want to catch a matinee if you're a super Tom Hanks fan, but it's a TV. It, it, it's, it's, it's a way to kill an afternoon on, on TV if you have the time. Uh, Kevin, what would you say about it? Um, I think it's a very nice film. Uh, I'm not sure about niche, but yeah, I think you're right that the it, it is made for uh, it's not made for me, you know, per se. Uh, it's not made for my peers. Yeah, I don't think they would uh, get it or they would enjoy it. They would find it kind of flat, boring about old people. And yeah, it's a nice movie made by a nice guy about nice people. There are very little, few villains. Um, the evil blogger, I guess, the douchey blogger, I and mean, he's the closest thing to the film has to a villain. But you know, even he's just kind of a loser. Uh, but it is a little too nice for its own good. It is very light. It's very fluffy. Um, it is timely cinematic escapism. That's why I wrote in notes. It is very time. If you're in that, you know, considering the current economy, this is the kind of movie you need. It kind of gives you hope that, oh, even, you know, if you hit hard times, you could be like Tom Hanks and meet nice people and be helped by nice people, be taught by nice people, and you will find your way out and just kind of. Uh, you just have to kind of um, reinvent yourself a little bit. Um, so it is obviously a Hollywood fantasy. Um, but it is, like I said, it's very nice. The word, the keyword here is very nice. Uh, and it is very too, it is a very cute movie. Um, it's almost too much so to be considered a waste of time. Um, it, 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 at, at worst, you know, it's a good Sunday afternoon thing. You have nothing to do. Just pop it in and, and you know, you don't have to really pay attention to it. It's kind of nice to have there on TV. Um, the love story did feel, feel kind of jammed in. Um, like I said, uh, Tom Hanks is such a nice guy that if you have Julia Roberts as your female lead, you have to give what your audience wants. Uh, you know, but it is very jammed in. It kind of felt like they had to deal with it in the last 20, 30 minutes. And I didn't really feel that they should have gone that route. Um, the supporting cast all have good moments. I think Cedric the Entertainer was great as um, Larry Crown's uh, neighbor who, who has a constant yard, who essentially has a constant yard sale because he, he made it big in the lottery. And that's what he does for a living. I think he was funny. Um, I love George Takei as the professor uh even though he, the stuff he was teaching was too i'm an economics minor so i know i went through other courses uh, i think what he was teaching was too too tough for economics 101 though um at points um but 
I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to have him as a professor. I thought he came off kind of arrogant and narcissistic, and I hate those kind of professors. So I wouldn't like him as a professor, but I loved his character. I thought he was great. Um, it isn't a great film. It has a lot of flaws, but it's also uh, like you said the 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 attempt at Judd Apatow humor was a little too out of place. It should just kind of went smooth and straight and steady instead of trying too hard to make you laugh. Uh, I also wanted a little more about the class, people in the class. I think, uh, I guess that's a safe way of going is that each person has a story and Larry Crown kind of changes them while they change him as well. But, you know, it's safe and steady. If the film is going to go safe and steady, why not go all the way to safe and steady and do it well? Uh, But they didn't really go there enough. Instead, they had that whole kind of May December romance, but not really thing going with the um, the his his new buddy, the 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 scooter club girl. Um, it was a little strange for me, but I mean, how the film was critically lambasted and people hated it. But how mean do you have to be to attack a movie like this? It's so nice and it's so it means so well, and it doesn't really do much to offend people. Um, so all I can say is that it's not good, but I enjoyed it. Um, imagine if Tom Hanks made this movie in late 80s or early 90s, you know, before it became a superstar. Then it just seems perfectly right. It just seems like a movie he would make then. And he wouldn't be right for the character yet. He's not old enough for it at the time. Neither was Julia Roberts yet, I think. But if he had made it um, at that age or at that time before he was a superstar, or if he had casted um, uh, other actors who aren't as big as him and Julia Roberts... Um, if he kind of retooled the whole film to be kind of like a, one of those um, handheld indie movies um, with a tougher, with a tougher inner city community college, it would be an indie hit. You know, it would be <laughs> it would go to Sundance and it would be great, and people would be uplifted and inspired. But instead, now you got this really lame duck of a movie because it has two of the world's biggest romantic comedy stars, and they didn't make this big romantic comedy. You know, that's like well, you know, uh, if he, a big if he made this in the eighties. He would have to like dress up like a woman to get accepted <laughs> to school, right? <laughs> something like that, and and I guess you could get Dustin Hoffman or something. I don't know. <laughs> I just and Morgan but, Freeman is the dean. Yeah, Morgan Freeman is a dean. No, but Morgan Freeman wasn't big yet either. So you have to get someone like well, he was pretty big. Um, he was on Sesame Street or no Electric Company. Then, that's it. Yeah. Back then, um, yeah. you get like Denny Glover or something, or <laughs> someone even older. You have to get, like, uh, I need someone older, like, uh, the guys from Trading Places or something. I don't know. <laughs> but Or you get William Shatner as, like, the the, the economics professor. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I don't know. It would work. But, you know, it's not a bad movie. just made in the wrong time, or it was just really ill-conceived, but it could have been done retool, and it'll be... It, it is exactly those Sundance movies. You put Ryan... You put, um, what's his name? Ryan Gosling in it. If Ryan Gosling is this guy, and the movie was shot on handheld camera, and you had Inner City Community College, I bet you this movie would be a Sundance hit. It would win audience awards. Well, and somebody, I don't remember, movie. somebody somewhere said, uh, I remember it was on a podcast or on a website review that I read. Somebody said, I liked it better when it was called Community. Yes, actually, you know, yeah, Community comparing it funnier. to the Community yeah. uh, TV series, which I haven't seen. I think I've seen like half of, a, half of an episode. But community is too meta. You know, this movie is not meta. You know, community is kind of one of those wink, wink things. It's kind of, yeah, it's too meta. Uh, it's too in love with its own wit. Um, this is just a nice movie, and I can't be mean to it. I can't say it's a good movie, but I can't be mean to it because I kind of enjoyed it. So 
Um, I would say TV, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's a nice, relaxing movie that you could watch on TV that just happened to have flopped because it has two of the world's biggest stars. But you just put it on TV and imagine that it was made in the 90s, and I think it'd be fine. Yeah. Um, and if they did get William, William Shatner to replace George Takai, you know, and when he'd get mad and take students' phones away, he'd say this. Props out to Matthew Seidel in the chat room for bringing that up. Um, so, yeah. It, um, the thing that's interesting, though, is the film is actually doing well. I mean, money-wise. it's uh, I think it's at like 52 uh, million. And, Internationally. Uh, yeah. And, it but it, but it, but it cost uh, like 30 or 33. So, mm-hmm. you know, the investors got their money back. Well, yeah, they did sell it as like an indie film because Universal was not the investor. I think uh, Tom Hanks had an indie indie investor or indie um, producer, and then he just sold the distribution rights worldwide. So I think in that, on that sense, I think he probably made his money back. Yeah. yeah. But box office-wise, it is, considering what Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts could make together, it is definitely a, a flop. Now, I'd you know say. what could have really sold the film? Michael Wong? Well, aside from that. Is aside from instead of him having a relationship with Julia Roberts, he has the relationship with George Takai. <gasps> Ooh, sequel, <laughs> sequel, <laughs> sequel. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> too meta. Too too meta. too meta. Yeah. Too meta. Um, did you hear about his T-shirt campaign? Um, George Takai's yeah. T-shirt campaign. Uh, about what? Well, um. It was something about some something about uh, uh, something about the admitting uh, like saying claiming you're gay in schools or or having some something on a t-shirt. You know, you can't have a t-shirt on on wording on a t-shirt saying you're gay or something like that. And uh, he came out with a, a t-shirt slogan said uh, something like "It's okay to be to K instead hmm. of gay." Um, and then, like, if you buy the T-shirt, he donates all the proceeds to uh, a charity or well, something like that. So he's using his name, you yeah. know, as a sort of like a semiotic replacement, which I thought was really cool. Mm. Um, all right, that's enough Sulu talk or George Takei talk or Doctor Matsutani talk. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's uh, the film, Larry Crown. Uh, see it or not. listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Comments. We got a comment uh, email actually from Tim Young's uh, regarding what we were talking about last week when we had mentioned uh, his uh, Hong Kong Nocturne commentary track. Uh, he said, uh, I thought it was pretty scrappy. It was done on a day's notice. Hmm. Uh, well, I didn't. It didn't come across that way to me. I think he did a good job. 
Um, he also says, a tiny correction for trivia's sake, um, Osaka Wrestling Restaurant, which I mentioned last week as another sort of wrestling-based film uh, to come out in Hong Kong, he says, Osaka Wrestling Restaurant wasn't just straight to video here. I caught it at the China Chem, and documentary proof is attached. And he sent me a picture of the billboard poster from China Chem. Maybe I'll post it over on the site for you guys to take a look at. Um, he says, and there was, in er in the early 90s at least, a fan base for U.S. wrestling here uh, in Hong Kong, with stars making the trip, and it may have largely been an expatriate audience, though. So, yeah, it's uh, I didn't know that uh, they were fans of wrestling here in the 90s. Um, I'm guessing during that time, that was like, you know, the Andre the Giant and uh, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage and those guys. That was their era, so I'm guessing maybe some of them actually got over here. Um, but uh, I got an e email from, uh, also from uh, Dave, Hong Kong Dave, in the chat room, I think. If I can find it. Uh, the wrestler from the Fortune Buddies is uh, a guy who goes by the name of Wu So Loi. Or the bearded girl, bearded lady. Um, uh, did I send this to you, Kevin? Uh, he 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 actually wrote about this on my on my Facebook wall, so I know all okay, about this. Yeah. So uh, the the guy is apparently trying to make a name for himself as this uh, cross-dressing strongman character here in Hong Kong. Um, he's got uh, appearances that he's done. I, like I said, I've seen him in a commercial uh before and i think he's had a i want to say in a in a, one of the tvb dramas he had a walk-on part or something um and he's got a bilingual site so good on him uh youtube links facebook doban um i guess he's hanging out in the like the lan kwai fong crowd yeah i guess uh, the heavy metal yeah. rocker um, um so luck <laughs> yeah. good luck to him good on you yeah uh i'm, I'm not really into the whole land land kwai fong scene don't get out to that too much um so yeah uh we also got an email from or a comment from over on the site i don't have the site up right now from uh gary lau who says he's going to be going to toronto uh international film festival and if we would like, he can do early reviews of the Johnny Toe stuff for us. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Maybe he can send in some MP3 files. We can play them on the show here. Okay, well, our show is... Uh, yeah, once again, in. our show is on, it's on Stitcher Radio. Um, you can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, or your WebOS phones, auto WebOS... Uh, no longer WebOS tablets, I guess. Uh, sorry, uh, HP owners. Um, Stitcher, smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher, smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. You can also catch us over at the website at www.concast.com. Um, as usual, you'll find us on iTunes. And if you like the show, please stop by and leave us a five-star review. That will help us out and give us some more exposure. Um, you can also follow along at Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash concast to follow the show, or you can follow Mr. Ma at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. Email, you can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com, 
And if you'd like, you can uh, send questions or comments or even a short MP3 file, and we might just play it here on the show. Uh, Kevin, where can they find out what you're doing and writing and seeing? Yes. Um, well, in addition to the Twitter, you can follow me on the Golden Rock, the blog, at www.lovehkfilm.com. You can find the link on the homepage. I am taking a break um, these couple of weeks because of other commitments, um, mostly due to me not getting enough rest. So um, I, I will go back to blogging next week when I'm finished with my freelance project and then get back to regular blogging. But you, can, you will be able to read more updates there about Chinese cinema scene and Hong Kong, things like that. Uh, I am also a regular reviewer on www.ypmovies.com.hk, the English page. Uh, I write weekly reviews of English language films playing here in Hong Kong. This week, I will be reviewing The Whistleblower, starring Rachel Weiss. All right. And as uh, Lao Ching Wan, also known as Sean Lao, reminds us. So good. Yes, I know. <laughs> so good. So there's I that. Like you. <laughs> I didn't know his name was Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's when he adapted that name when he did um that movie in Canada. Charles something. It was like the the movie name is like Charles is Char- missing or something. Lunch with Charles. That's it. Yeah, Lunch with Charles. Lunch with yeah, Charles. He, I think he adapted he adapted the name yeah. uh, Sean then, but he never really officially went back to that name afterwards. Mm. So now it's still Lao Cheng Wan. Yeah, cool. I like Lao Cheng Wan better. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, yeah, that's our show. And I want to say big thanks to a few people who've helped us get this far. Um, first, a big thanks to Rob Jaboers over at Schnauzer Studios, who did our theme for us. Uh, also, a big thanks to Rosh Chen of lovehkfilm.com, who keeps us enticed with movie, week, uh, movie nights every week and sort of keeps everything organized. Of course, a big thanks to the K Man. The Golden Rock, Mr. Ma, for sticking with us uh, and keeping me sane for these past 80 episodes and keeping me on track. And, of course, a huge thanks to all of you out there, all of the listeners, um, everybody who comments over on the comments side, everybody who writes in, and everybody who now joins us for the live streams, and even everybody who listens to us after the fact as in the podcast form. Um, we enjoy doing this show mostly because... We know that there are people out there who like listening to it. So uh, a big thanks to all of you. Um, I really do have to recognize Paul here. He does all this work, all this dirty work, all these stuff, sound sound mixing and, and the technical stuff and writing the notes and editing every week. And I just, you know, come home Tuesday nights and and talk on now, Skype. Now, you bring, you, you now, bring, you bring the knowledge. That's, no, no, no! Come on, I mean. you have the knowledge too. You, you, know, you have all the you're... all the all the Weibo connections and the latest <laughs> gossips and all that all that good meaty stuff that we need. No, but I wouldn't have a have this media without without all your work. So, Paul, this really you know this really is your show, and thank you for giving me the chance uh, to talk to people. Um, yeah, you know, happy happy second anniversary, honey. Yeah. <laughs> happy second anniversary. Can you just feel the love? Um, so yeah Yeah. next episode episode 81 we will be back next week to talk about uh, the latest uh, what would you call it Alex Fong rom-com summer mixed crappy blockbuster with lots of women in bikinis um, that is called Summer Love and the science fiction western with uh, Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford 
Cowboys versus Aliens. All that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next week. See you next week in our third year. Soloy's real name is Richard Margaret Magary. Magary? Magary, I guess. I um, it, it, it said on the website that he like wrestles here too. I guess they actually do shows out, you know, at, at venues or something. I don't know. Or um, just randomly wrestles people at Sion Choi Street, and I didn't, never notice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so much I miss. I'm a homebody. You know, it's like I get off work and I'm like. Psh. Get me home. Let me throw a movie in the in 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 the Blu-ray player and a shrimp on the Barbie, and I'm I'm good to go. I don't need to, you know, stay out and do the clubbing thing. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, like I know Hon- that that's a whole side of Hong Kong that I'm missing too. You know, because I know that if I was out there, you know, in Lang Kwai Fong and in Happy Valley, you know, you have the potential to bump into people and stars and stuff. But I'm just not into that. Yeah, I you know I'm not that American enough to be Wan Chaiing or Lan Kui Fonging. I just like you know I go out with some people once in a while, and yeah, I don't like that yeah. scene either. You know? I, I'm more into the Dynasty scene. That's my scene. Yeah, the China Camp scene. I we gotta do all these two two a.m. four a.m. show at a China Camp. Um, yeah, we bring bodyguards, but yeah, I mean we, we gotta do those shows. Maybe for what's it? What's it? Uh, the Invader 33, whatever. 33 D Invader, yeah. That's my idea of a nightlife, right? That's like my idea of, of uh, uh, um. Well, they don't the, do the, they don't do the, because they used to like with the, um, the Guwak Zai movies, the Young and Dangerous movies. They used to do like midnight premieres of those, right? Oh yeah, that that, that tradition's long gone. Yeah, yeah they don't yeah, do yeah. those anymore. But China uh, Cam still does, uh, still does those two a.m. four a.m. shows. We we need to do that one night. Do like a have a midnight dinner and and just hang out and do a late movie. I'm a little scared, but yeah, we could do that. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That's all the comments I got. Do you get any comments, Captain? Um, any secret I admirers? Gotta, or? Someone told me I was I lost weight. Yeah. Oh, great! <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Uh, Is it true? I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's always going up and down. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Let's <laughs> see what that has to do with the podcast. Uh, yeah. It fluctuates. Okay. Oh, come on, Mac. Don't die on me now. Uh, and I lost my notes. Uh, now we're down to uh, the closing. Yes. Uh, oh. This is why we can't do it live. Uh, this is why. This is why we can't have good things. 